Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of The Cognitive Canine, and this is called Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. Hey guys, I'm here with Leslie Eide today, and we are going to talk about our recent trip to Finland for the Agility World Championships, which was amazing. Um, So I'm just going to talk about a couple of things that I noticed, and then Leslie can do the same, and then we're going to dive into Patreon questions. So um, while I was there, I was just kind of taking a few notes on things to talk to you guys about that I noticed and besides just the fact that it was magic and incredible and anybody who's really interested in the sport of dog agility, I think should probably experience this at least once. Um, Something that I was seeing was for sure we have reached the point and Leslie, I want to know if you agree I feel like we've reached the point that on the world stage, um, you got to have a running dog walk. Definitely. I mean, I think we reached it a couple of years ago, but now, I mean, every year it just gets better and better. And the, the running dog walks, the reliability of the running dog walks, the incredible training, um, you basically could not be on that podium without one. Yeah, I still think even a few years ago, the running dog walks weren't quite as reliable. So you right, could like actually... you had an advantage if your dog was gonna hit, but they didn't right. used to be this reliable. And so if you had to stop, there was still the potential with a quick release that you could be competitive. Yes. Um, but I mean, definitely that was one of the things that hit home. Um, yeah, I mean, run after run. I mean, gosh, I'd probably say it was like 90% of competitors had a running dog walk. Definitely a huge, huge percentage. Like, reliable. we didn't, we didn't take was, any data. There weren't but... many misses with running dog. There were a few. There were a handful of misses. And in all honesty, I saw more people miss that you could tell their dog actually had a two-on-two off. Agreed, that they were pushing. And... They were trying to do a quick release, and the dog knew it and actually jumped the yellow. Yeah. I would say more of the calls. I would I would put money that the dog typically has a two-on-two-off. Totally. So the running dog walk is basically a requirement if yeah. you want to be competitive. Yeah. And then also it needs to be good. It needs to be very high, high level of reliability um, because your competition – it has a running dog walk and it's reliable. Um, so what's exciting for me is that the training of running dog walks has really reached that point where that high level of reliability is accessible because team after team after team had it. Um, I don't necessarily think this goes with running dog walks, although people tend to think it does. The, athleticism of the handlers was pretty striking so the ability 
to sprint from A to B. I didn't see handlers lose their run because they couldn't get somewhere that often. Sometimes, yes, I think that was a key element of course design, more so than I think here what we see is really tricky challenges physically for the dog to overcome. Like, can you keep a bar up with this stupidly tight throttle, etc.? Things like that. Um, whereas on that stage, it was the course design was much more focused towards can the handler get there because the dog is taking a nice, smooth, flowing line to a challenge and you got to get to the challenge. And most of the handlers are getting there. Yeah. And they're not all, like, young, thin people. Like, I want to point that out, that that's not actually the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is that they take their own athletic ability on the course seriously, and if they don't have it, the training training is there so that they don't need to be able to sprint. Yeah. Or that when they do actually move, the dog is like, oh, this is serious, I need to... Like, that is actually a cue to the dog to... To also accelerate. To, uh, yeah, do something versus, um, yeah, just when they're, you know, directing them with rollers. Right. I just think that overall, like, the course design was testing handler ability to get places on a level that I, I don't think I see as much in the States. Yeah, I don't, but I also don't think it necessarily depended on handler ability to get places because you can train your dog. There, there was a high level of training with verbal cues, and so... Which is another one of the bullet points it, that I wanted to it make. didn't necessarily, yes, there were some handlers that couldn't physically get there, but their dog was so well trained on verbals. Their dog was competent. It didn't... Of what they were doing. Yeah, it didn't necessarily matter. I don't know. Like, what? I just... I don't... I Again, I don't want it to come off like, oh, you have to be this amazing... An Olympic sprinter. Yeah, That's not what I mean either. Yeah, so That's definitely not what I'm trying just, to say. The level of training, you know, it's like a, a, a balance, like a teeter. Like, the more athletic you are and you can get places, you don't, like... Your training maybe I mean, I doesn't think that's... have to be quite as good, but if if you're not as physically able, then your training has to be like up a notch. I think that that's always been true. Yeah. In the sport of dog agility, that the more talented of a runner you are, maybe the less talented trainer you have to be. But definitely on that stage, I'm seeing both. I'm seeing the people on the podium are both. They <laughs> were able to run. They were able to run, and they were able to – the training was also there. Um, Okay, so the high reliability of verbal cues, definitely a thing. And it's not that they're using verbal only. Like, they're supporting things, but if the dog has a question, the dog falls back on the verbal rather than the dog falling back on the physical when they have a question, which I think is, um, 
I think that's important when it comes to the training because if you have two cues, which is my motion is supporting this backside, and you have a verbal cue of take the backside, the natural thing for the dog to to listen to first and foremost is your motion towards the backside. You actually have to train them to prioritize the verbal, and they have done they have done that. Um, yeah, they've definitely done that. And then just agility is a sport at this level. It is a real competitive athletic event um, in a way that I'm not sure that everybody thinks of it all the time. Um, it can be done certainly as a hobby and it can also be done as a sport. And what we were seeing was essentially the Olympics of this game that we like to play. So anything else that you want to say before we dive into Patreon questions? That was everything. That was my bullet list. Okay, so we're going to jump now into Patreon questions, and the first two are from our friend Graham Thomas, and you guys, we got a lot of questions, some of them we can't answer, because we don't know the answer to, but we may um, have some of our friends who were on the team on to chat about the answers to those questions if you guys are interested, so definitely let me know. Um... Graham's first question is, did you happen to notice any decompression pre or post runs? So he's basically, he's been a student of mine for a long time. He's saying, hey, are these dogs getting decompression walks? And the answer is, we don't actually know the answer to that. Um, other than people that we know who prioritize decompression walks, we don't really know. But off-leash walking of dogs in Finland is much more of a thing than in the United States. So in like in most of Europe, um, off-leash hiking and walking is more just kind of expected of like, this is how you exercise a dog. Um, so I would imagine that quite a few of the dogs were getting that kind of exercise. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I definitely have heard some comments from... Um, I don't remember if it was the team members on the U.S. team or just uh, spectators, supporters of U.S. commenting on when they would be out in the parking area, like how many dogs were off leash. Yeah, um, there so, wasn't like a big blanket rule like there is at any of our big right. events that the dogs need to be leashed all the yeah. time. So yeah. I think generally, um, yeah, there's less of a... Um, this leash like every dog has to be leashed um they're much more they want to um let their dogs exercise off leash so yeah it probably is happening they're probably not thinking of it as like a decompression walk because it's just because they're thinking of it them. as normal exercise for yeah. dogs yeah um so um, okay, so Graham's next question is, did you notice a difference in temperament of the dogs there versus trials here? And he goes on to say, i.e., did you see lots of dogs who could use worked up, which is my online course for agility dogs that are maybe just a little too much. Um, 
in a good way. We like him like that. But the first point, and Leslie made this point when we were kind of reviewing the questions, is that temperament and needing worked up don't have that much to do with each other as far as... Does one predict the other? Does one predict the other? Definitely seen... Um, actually, I think most of the dogs that I know that are that have what I would call a quote-unquote poor temperament, so maybe aggressive tendencies, maybe fearful tendencies, they don't need worked up. They need different kinds of help. The worked up dogs are just coming unglued with excitement, basically. And, I mean, in perfect honesty, I would say no. I didn't see any dog there that needed worked up because I think if you get to that level... You don't need it, exactly. worked through it maybe they needed it when they were sure starting out but like when they're at that level they've worked through those problems and and that actually leads to an interesting piece too which is that it's not a nothing's a problem unless it's a problem right right? so did we see dogs that were crazy amped and like leaping and lunging and barking and being ridiculous yes we did i mean i watched so I will say in watching the lineup, I saw both sides of it. I definitely saw handlers who like let the dogs watch and get excited and obviously were totally fine with it and like mm-hmm. yep, this is what we do. Or encouraged is, it. And, and almost, we heard from competitors that we and know that it was encouraged. The, the the other side of things were handlers and it whether it was their nerves or whatnot but they, they were getting frustrated with their dog. And you could see it happening in the lineup where they'd be like, no, focus on me, focus on me, focus on me. Right. And, but, we, you know, maybe that's their normal routine. It just, like, well, in, in their body the, language, it was like you could almost see the yeah. frustration from the person. But, again, this is such a high high level that even those dogs I wouldn't say then you watched them run and it didn't go well like I feel like that may just be their routine of yeah look at me like focus on me don't watch the other dog and in this situation it was very hard for the dog not to watch the the dog in the ring so the handler was getting more um, frustrated on getting them to pay attention to Well, and we're going to talk specifically about what the lineup, what the pre-run requirements were, because they're different than what we're used to here. Um, But I know dogs, I know at least a couple of dogs that I know are really well-trained who did not look well-trained necessarily once they got into the ring. And to me, that's kind of classic worked up is they know their stuff until the environment's too much for them and there's too much um, intensity one way or another. So generally speaking, the dogs there, this is such high caliber um, handlers and dogs that no, they don't need worked up. Um, But does that mean that we didn't see barky lungy stuff? No, we saw it in droves. I mean, most of the dogs ringside were going crazy on some level. Um, so Bronwyn says, what did you think of the course design? I heard a competitor pulled out of the large jumping due to the nine backsides. 
does Leslie have any thoughts on that and the effect it would have on the dogs? And before Leslie dives <laughs> in, I'm going to say the saying it was nine backsides is pretty liberal and it was probably more like seven, which is still a lot. But Leslie, go ahead and okay, so comment we'll, on we'll that. We'll start with number one. Um, so a competitor, I'm fairly certain I know who you're talking about. She did not actually pull from the course um, because of course design. Um, she actually didn't qualify in her country to run individual. She right. ran in team for her country and she is a very well-known competitor. And so I think a lot of people expected to see her in individual. She expected um, to be an individual. Yes. She just, and I expected but her to be in it. Unfortunately, because of her country's tryouts, um, what I was told is they take one through first through fourth for team and first through third for individual. And unfortunately she was the fourth person. So she did not get to run individual. Um, what she specifically posted on Facebook was that her dog would not have liked the course, not that she wouldn't have liked to run it. And she, and she clarified, she that said she, she would have, would have liked yeah. to run it. Yeah but her dog would not have liked it. And I totally understand that. A course like that, I mean, yeah, I would I would be the first to say, and I think I did say it, Stig would hate that course. Mm -hmm. He does not like backside slices. That is one of and the And it was hardest, backside slice after backside yeah, slice after backside slice. That's one of the slice. hardest jumping challenges for him, and we don't have a good system for it. So I would... It would be a struggle for us, you know, put Ghost on that course, and I think it would have been a blast. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> she has no trouble with backside slices, and I do think because of that, I trust my verbal with her a little bit more, so I think it would, would have been great. And in all honesty, the, the top handlers made that course look beautiful. Like, there was Incredible. not yeah. any crunchiness to it, any um any cringing um really um i think actually uh, it, yeah it was it was very beautiful um so clarification no one pulled out because of course design that no we're one, aware of no one that we're aware of decided and probably wouldn't have that's right, not really not a thing at that level because of the course design um second point um like sarah said Looking at how that course ran and flew and flowed, there were seven backsides. Um, I would not count number two as a backside unless you set up your dog really weird from the start. Yep. Um, number two could be approached from a front side. And I believe it was number 12 was also counted as a backside. And the flow to it, it was not a backside. It looks like a backside on the map. But the, the dog's lines took them to the appropriate takeoff side. So calling that a backside as well, I think, is, is a little um, questionable. Is seven a lot of backsides? Yes. And I think what really threw people off was the fact that the beginning line um, had, like, two backsides in a row and then a third, a normal jump and then a third backside. So you had this fairly straight line of jumps that had uh, four jumps that had three backsides. Um, and they did a very similar line on the way out. And I think that's what kind of threw people off was to have so many all on 
this one straight Well, and I hated the opening. I think we talked about that. Like, if I was on the team, no way I would have sat it out. Like, yeah, I'm running that course. But I... The opening of that course was my least favorite of any course design that we saw the entire weekend. It wasn't ideal. um, But I don't think it was bad. Um, The other thing I'm going to throw out there, knowing the person who does body work um, for the U.S. team there. Uh, She was specifically asked um, to report back on how the U.S. dogs felt after running that course. Um, And she reported basically no changes to any of them um, after that course. So there was no seemingly extra stress to their body. What they had going in, they had coming out. Um, so it wasn't that they were necessarily all and perfect, don't we really but agree? Like the ones that already had some issues, some soreness from running, right. had the same issues and soreness after. Um, so I don't, I, you know, at that level, I would expect the dogs again to be trained and physically fit, physically to, capable, right, to handle that kind of thing. I think that. Um, if we saw an AKC Premier course with seven backsides, yeah, that's not good. And the reason it's not good is our spacing is not well, good. One, our spacing is too tight. Be in like an eighty by ninety ring. Right. So our spacing is too so tight. Close. Our weekend warrior dogs are not fit enough for it. Period. And probably not trained to that high level of fluency right. on backsides. Right. So sure, it would be a problem if we saw it here. I'm just gonna go out on a limb and say that we're not going to. Um, One of the complaints is that course design at Worlds affects course design everywhere else. I also just think there are other trends we saw at Worlds that are going to be picked up and ran with, and it's not going to be that. Yeah. I mean, I, there are going to, I mean, there are going to be things like that, that show up. Sure. Um, But I do, again, good judges. (laughs) She's being very (laughs) careful right now. Uh, But we, you know, you and I are pretty picky about judges. And unless, in our country, to me, unless you're trying to qualify for AKC Nationals, which is a marathon, you have to go to a lot of trials and you have to queue a lot. Um, You can be pretty picky about judges. And you can say, I know this person. I know I need premier cues. And I know this person's premier courses are not appropriate for the tight spacing that we have. And so I'm not going to run there. Right. Um, so anyway, I think we, I think we've said enough on that, but I do appreciate that question because it was definitely something that was floating all over Facebook. So I'm glad that we could clear some of it up. Um, all right. Noah Safra says, do dogs seem to do better or worse ringside in comparison to the USA average with crowds, kids, other dogs. And she's got um, kind of a follow-up to that question, but let's just, first of all, we're going to say that at this event, the dogs and the spectators are not allowed to intermingle. So we have no idea how the dogs did with crowds, kids, or other dogs because they were all, there's basically a basement Stig is chiming in. We took a risk here and recorded with all seven dogs loose. So just forewarning as to whatever might happen. Ghost is 
Ghost has a lot of opinions, so she's right here. Um, so they're not allowed to be with anybody else, with with the spectators or the or yeah. the public, which I actually loved and yeah. think it's an interesting choice. The dogs were not allowed up. They're very the strict rules about where they're allowed to be. Or the shopping area, they were only allowed below, and basically only, only service dogs were allowed in the shopping area, and only um, credentialed participants were allowed below to where the dogs. Yes, were. So, so you had clear to be divide. a team member, or um, they have team leader, team physio. Right. So like if all, you are you on the team like and the you official. and they give you a badge and somebody's checking the badge any, yeah. anywhere you try to go. So we don't know the answer to that. Um, we do know from a friend of ours who's on the world team that the spacing in the creating area was really tight. Yeah. So the dogs did have to navigate some really tight situations. Um, and then, okay, the rest of her question is, what country-specific differences are noticed in training, running, pre- and post-run practices? And then she goes on to tell us how jealous she is, <laughs> but also happy for us. Um, so, again, we're not really sure. So, tra- say, training. Tra- okay, country-specific differences in training, running, pre- and post-run practices. So, like, warm-up and cool-down, Yeah, that kind of thing. More, yeah, I mean, can't really... But training and running, I mean, we did kind of talk about that already, that yeah. what, what we saw on the world stage. So we don't really know as far as pre- and post-run practices. Um, country-specific differences in the training and the running of the courses. Um, we're going to get into this pretty in-depth, I think, later on somebody else's question, but the general overall feel is that there are just some countries that run these courses all year and there are some countries who don't. Yeah. Meaning us. Yeah. Um, okay. So next question is from Terry. She says, in the agility final, I saw speculation about the visual approach being the reason for some spectacular teeter fly-offs. What is our take on that? I would say Sarah and I have opposite takes yeah i think we probably do because we discussed it we discussed it while we watched it and um we definitely had opposite opinions while there all right i you can go first i'll go so my opinion was so this is the right the last the last run like literally and everything's on the line right so so if we think about it um so I, I'm thinking about it more from a handler perspective, a mental perspective. If you eliminated in jumping, all you have is to go for it. Because all you can do, like, basically is podium of that event. So you might as well just go for it as fast as you can. Because you're not going to win overall because you eat in jumping. Then as you go through... Um, the lineup because it's reverse seated. So as you get farther and farther along, you're dealing again with people who have the overall on the line. So you're starting to get to people who, you know, don't, didn't have any faults in jumping. And they're like, oh man, if I pull out another run, I could make podium. So I think you're, you're seeing from a start to finish, every single handler wants to go for it. There's no holding back. And there's definitely also, I would say, nervous 
kind of pressure coming on too as you get further along where those competitors are going oh my god I you know I have a chance to be on the podium at world championships and so I think you have this adrenaline rush um the teeter was the third obstacle after pretty hard number two like that backside slice number two um was a fairly difficult thing that needed to be managed you couldn't just take it for granted and get down and help the dog on the teeter so and you also couldn't stay at the teeter because of what was coming up so there was really and you had to have an extremely strong independent teeter and I think what happened in my mind was there's a lot of adrenaline from both the handler and the dog going into it and you know there's potentially slightly delayed cues um, that it's a teeter um, that may confuse the dog um, but also just the fact that the handler is accelerating and I think the handler motion could also be confusing to the dog that this is the teeter and requires a stop versus the dog walk because they're so used to seeing a dog walk and the handlers accelerating down to get somewhere they need to go that they were seeing the same thing from the handler in this situation. The handlers could not show any kind of deceleration or any kind of stop um, with their motion to help the dog stop on the teeter. That it was completely dependent on like a verbal um, training for the dog to understand, hey, this is a teeter and you need to stop on it. So to be clear, your opinion is everyone was pushing really hard. So we saw teeter fly-offs. I think we saw teeter fly-offs because everyone was pushing really hard and there was a little lack of clarity because of that to the dog. Because of the pushing, not because of a visual aspect. I mean, you could say there was a visual aspect because the vision of the handler taking off. Okay. I'm not going to blame the tunnel. I am. Yeah. To me, obviously, obviously neither of us can know because we can't like interview the dogs. We just talked about the reliability of the verbals and what I witnessed was an unusual proportion of dogs flying off early in the class and late. The entire class, there were fly-offs. And I've seen it a million times in the States where there's a tunnel off to the side behind the teeter. And in my opinion, the dog sees a tunnel dog walk discrimination because they see skinny board with a tunnel next to it. And their depth perception is not as good as ours. I mean, probably better than mine. But, um, Leslie's making a face. <laughs> she says I'm wrong about that. No, Regardless of whether I'm wrong know. about that. I don't know. To me, the... Number of dogs that flew off that teeter says something else was going on. And I'm going to pull, I'm going to specifically mention that there were extremely, incredibly trained dogs out there flying off that teeter. 
for instance, Lux. Jessica Patterson's dog Lux is beautifully trained and flew off the teeter. And looks, the other thing is I would like to do a breakdown and look at all these dogs and watch where they're accelerating on the board because to me it's also these running dog walks and these dogs are preparing themselves to run the three planks and they're when I watched Lux and I mean you can see it on the video she lands so far out after the teeter because she thought for sure there was a cross plank there um I think I didn't ask her I don't know that dog personally so I didn't sit her down but um in my opinion, and we're not going to keep arguing about this because there's a lot of questions to go down, but in my opinion, there was a visual aspect. Yeah. I just, I mean, in the perfect world, we would have had the same exact same setup as, like, run number one. That's where I would have liked to see. So if it was the first run of the weekend, especially being a team event where it's maybe a little bit more important to not have faults if that same scenario would have happened. Yeah, that'd be a good question. Or if Hammers would good have question been for a sure. little bit more. So you have two opinions for that question. I'm glad that somebody asked it, because it's definitely a big question yeah. that's floating around. Neither of us can know for sure. But both of us are sure we're right. So there you go. <laughs> so there you go. Anyway, all right. So Kristen is asking, and Leslie actually asked, um, specifically our friend who's on the team. She says, do vet checks include lameness exams? If so, how extensive? So we didn't know for sure. So Leslie asked um, our friend Sarah Baker what the answer was. <clears throat> so I knew that it was um, a lot of checking credentials. So basically for every country is going to, every country where it's hosted is going to have different requirements. So specifically for Finland, they had to prove rabies vaccinations, distemper vaccination, and um tapeworm treatment. <laughs> Distemper was a surprise yeah. to the U.S. team, too, which um, was <laughs> interesting, but worked out fine. And they have to have microchip because um, all the dogs get scanned after each run. So I knew that was part of it. Now, again, depending on the country, the vet check can be different. So specifically in Finland, they actually did do um, a gait exam, so they have the dogs um, trot and visually look for any sign of lameness that way, and they did a brief physical exam. So no stretching of the dog specifically, but um, a hands-on exam. Um, but it's totally dependent on the country, what kind of that check you get. I've, I've heard both, all they do is check credentials and kind of like a uh, health certificate, you know, where they just, they check for any visual signs of illness, and as long as they don't have that, they're fine, um, but then there can be the opposite, where they do even more than what they did in Finland, where they actually do more of a orthopedic exam and um, stretch them and check them and make sure they're not reacting to any joint manipulation. Um, I'm just, this isn't a Patreon question, but do you know, um, there are randomized drug testing there's randomized drug testing um as well as i think anybody can ask for any dog to be drug tested 
Do you know, are there some European countries that do mandatory drug testing at the vet check? I don't know that. And I don't think, again, I think it depends on the country if there's even randomized drug testing. I don't ah. think every country does. Interesting, yeah. Um, kind of the Scandinavian countries are a little bit more known for it because we right because it happens in Sweden as well. Um, well, and I mean, and in Sweden, we heard even people's hotel rooms were checked for anything that might be not allowed. And like if you were traveling with a cold laser, for instance, right. that's not allowed. Um, specifically in Sweden as well. So like. Anyway, we depending on the country involved, there are different things. Like Finland decided distemper yeah. needed to be checked. The U.S. team missed the memo on that, which I kind of can't believe. Um, like, I don't think that was the fault of, right. the, of the U.S. organizers at all. Could have even been a last-minute decision right. based on what happened in Norway. Yeah. The fact that the Norwegian uh, team had to pull out due to kind of a mystery dog illness that yeah. popped up in Norway. And it could be also, like... Um, in Finland, so they allowed the teams to have, like, a physio or a, a, someone who does body work. And they were right. allowed to do that, but not – I mean, there are different rules about, like, where it can be done and, yeah. and stuff. So, um, And then some usually, other countries, like, you, can't you can't have a physio, do, you can't like, do anything. You can't do yeah. massage on site kind of thing. Yeah. So um, it all depends on, on the country, but they're all – all that information is given out ahead of time so you know how to prepare for it. Yeah. Okay, so Paige says, um, and that she said this is pretty much going off of other questions, and there's kind of one specific piece that was interesting. But she said, thoughts on pre-post-run routines, which we kind of, and including warming up and cooling down, we don't know other than the people that we know specifically. Um, and then wants to know how the dogs are coping with such an intense charged environment and if we noticed any differences in these things compared to a quote-unquote normal trial. And I guess my bare bones answer is that nothing about this is like a normal trial. It's not even like our nationals. I mean, it's just a lot more intense, a lot more rigid as far as rules and who can be lined up ringside and that kind of thing. And like we just talked about, um, what kind of veterinary or physio work can be done. So to me, we, we didn't really get to see the dogs coping with the environment other than ringside. Yeah. I mean, they and all a, seem to cope just fine. Well, right, because <laughs> right, because my my point is always that it you can't judge how they're coping by what they're doing ringside. You judge how they're coping by how they perform. Yeah, and I mean, I will say, I remember one comment, like I, you said, I don't remember dog, I don't even remember what what size, but you were like, yeah, that dog just looked a little not right in the lineup yes and then and that dog actually tried to leave the ring try yeah he that's tried the to only one that we saw like that yeah and, i mean so it's still so i saw one dog that yeah. wasn't coping very well yeah but that's one yeah um so overall they're coping better than our dogs do at a national yeah. i think um 
Bronwyn has a question on the colors. So thoughts on the colors used for the, and this is the colors for the equipment. She's seen some discussion about it online. So wanted to know what our thoughts were. Um, I don't know a whole lot about this. What I do know is that everything was blue and white, which are contrasting, which is contrasting. So it shouldn't be exactly what I thought looking at it. It shouldn't be a problem because it's very well contrasted. Um, Our dogs are, actually used to poorly contrasted contacts so i mean the dogs see blue right so and then white is gonna be white right so it shouldn't have been an issue shouldn't have been a problem one problem we noticed again was in large dog agility with the wall because yes being next to the white the ring barrier ring barrier mm-hmm. i think some dogs did not recognize it as an actual jump so kind of next to the teeter fly off the only kind of weird thing that we saw and it was the same run was refusal of the wall jump on a still not as many dogs as flew off the teeter but right. but enough dogs refused the wall jump that i think again there's something kind of visual going on there what i will say with that is it improved as it, it improved. On. It was definitely the Well, beginning. I saw handlers taking care of it more. Right. In the beginning, yeah. I think handlers just thought their dogs they thought take They it. took it for granted because it's a jump. Right. It's and, right there. And the dogs weren't... They were peeling off they, unless they there were, was a lot of support right. for that. And so it yeah. definitely improved as handlers were like, oh, right, I have to support People that really supported it better once they realized it was a problem and then it wasn't a problem. Yeah. The dogs just needed to be told for sure, you're not jumping out of the ring. This is a jump. Yeah. And they're used to the wall jump if they're at that level. It's not about it being a wall jump. It's about the fact that it was a solid white jump. Yeah. And the ring barriers were white as well. Okay. So Esteban says, how did the layout for ring entry and exit for Handler Dog compare to other big competitions you've attended? And I love this question because I love the ring entry um, setup which is where you've got the three dogs, the four dogs waiting to go. So you've got the next dog in line has a kind of a big space. And then there are kind of three boxes made by these little uh, ring barriers. And the ring barriers were just kind of these little triangular cardboardy types of things, like not, not a gate or a fence. Um, But they each have their kind of space to stand in. And I really like that because then nobody else was allowed down there. So you didn't have a crowd. Right. You had your team leaders. Hovering. You had, right. You had your team leaders were allowed to be down there. Um, But as far as dogs are concerned, you have the dog finishing, which goes quickly over to be scanned um, for their microchip and then they're out. And then the next dog comes in to kind of take their spot. So basically the maximum dogs on the floor at a time were, were five and I was all about that. To me, that just allowed the dogs to have the kind of space that they needed and deserved. I don't know about you, but there have been plenty of times where I was just in the chute waiting to go in and had to turn around and ask the person behind me to please back up and give my dog some space. Yeah, it definitely, I liked it. Um, Probably the only thing it made me think about was more handler mental management because mm-hmm. you have to be out there so basically you have to have a plan with for what you're going to do while you're standing in those three The boxes. other thing that I heard and then observed is that there's no food allowed. 
Oh, once you get out down there. there. Yeah, once you're out there, there's no food. You can have a toy, and your toy can actually be attached to your leash so it can go in the ring with you. Yeah. But you obviously can't carry it through the course, but it's attached to your leash. Um, but no food. And so that may have also fed into some of the handlers being frustrated at their dog's behavior is that maybe they manage that with food normally at normal trials. Um, I, the other thing that I'm just now thinking of is that, so they're scanned for their microchip when they finish their run. And like at AKC nationals, we have a little tag that we get at check-in that gets scanned before we run. And I would almost prefer that that happened after the run. Like it does at Worlds. Yeah. Because I've been definitely, like, kind of interrupted from my mental prep, basically, by the person trying to scan my tag going into the ring. And I just think that if that was scanned afterwards, it would be easier on me when it's all about me. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, any thoughts, any other thoughts on that? Um... I mean, I, again, I liked it. Um, I, I don't think it's a problem. Um, one of the things I, I guess I noticed that I thought was kind of cool um, was a lot of times the dogs finished, and a lot of dogs, I think, are kind of used to that setup, and so they know their toy is outside the ring, and so... When they were done, they were leaving to get their to toy. To go get their toy, and sometimes that meant running through the boxes mm-hmm. to get there. Yep. And there was never any issue with like handlers being surprised or nope. dogs being surprised or being like, "Oh my god, my, your dog's jumping through." In fact, Simon, the Siberian oh, Simon husky from the South Africa yeah. team, which you guys please look up Simon and just see him running because he was amazing he was kind of no like to me at the end of every run he just decided all the barriers were bonus jumps and did a bunch more bonus jumps and was so adorable (laughs) um you guys have never seen a siberian like this it he was incredible so definitely go check him out but yeah i mean he would bounce into through everybody's box and then back over to his leash before his mom could get him and it, and it wasn't even, I would say, like, his mom getting him. It was... He was like, oh, we're done like, now. Where's my yeah, toy? Yeah. Oh, my toy's over there. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. had to check all these other spots yes. first. Um, but, I mean, yeah, there was no issues with that at all. Um, and I I was impressed by that. And, Definitely. Yeah. So Naomi Shah has an interesting question. She says, she's talking about speed. Do you think it's the speed first, correct behavior later approach that gives some countries better speed overall? Or is there some secret to training or do you think they just breed different? So selection for speed, less bone, lighter frame, etc. So she's commenting on the fact that we get our butts handed to us every single year. I mean, <laughs> and I... Love our team, root for our team, think they're amazing. But I have this exact same conversation with the team that there does seem to be something a little bit different. And breeding does seem to be playing a role for sure. I know Shelties, at least, which is kind of the second most 
popular common breed in agility on that stage. Um, the European Shelties are completely different from ours here. And people here are starting to incorporate some of those dogs into breeding programs to get some more speed. But um, I wouldn't say it's a speed first, correct behavior later approach at all. And I'll talk about that in a second. But Leslie, I know you have a lot of thoughts on this. Oh, um, I, I, <laughs> I do think, I mean, there's, yes, breeding is probably a little different. Um, I don't know. There's still, um, there's still definitely, like, when I look at the border collies, I mean, there's a wide variety. Huge variety of, of border, border collies, collies just like everywhere so else. So I don't yes. think it's like specific, a specific like border collie type makes them a um, agility world championship dog. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with, um, uh, you know, a lot of these dogs are, this is the agility they see on a regular basis. Right. They run courses of this size and course right. design type so all they're year. All, they're a lot, they know how to open up and run and still get the obstacles done. And still get that backside and keep that bar up. Yeah. yeah. Versus, I mean, at least around here, I don't feel like I've ever been on a AKC course, or at least like, 99% of the time, an AKC course where, like, Stig actually gets to run. At all, yeah. I mean, he's always collected down, and, like, they're actually reinforced for putting extra strides in. And, yeah. Um, and so then to go from that kind of that's what we do to this kind of... Um, this kind of setup, the dogs just even even though they can run, they they don't have that ability to all out run. There's still there's still some question of um, how do I do this? How what you know? Um, so I think that's that's probably the biggest difference between a lot of the European teams and um, the North American teams. Um, more than anything. Um, so I, I'm not sure how we, how we change that. I don't think it's necessarily a training thing. Um, I mean, don't you think the courses that they run inform their training, just like the courses that we run inform ours? Yeah, probably. <coughs> yeah, I that think, makes sense. I mean, I know the people who are vying for this team they go build courses like this and they go try to run them. And they're also, you know, the same people who are constantly trying to push for better course design, bigger rings, et cetera, in our local and national events. So the answer is it's everything. It's not one thing that, um, I do think the training is a big deal but I would be wrong to tell you that I think I know all the differences um, in training. So 
But I do think that there are nice dogs the world over. I don't necessarily think it's all about breeding. Okay. Kathy Clyde. Great question. To hell with all the course stuff. What was the shopping like? (laughs) I mean, here's what we'll tell you, Kathy. We brought an extra suitcase knowing that this was going to be a thing (laughs) for us. (laughs) And it was. I mean, not that the stuff that's there you can't get over here. I mean, some of it. We just specifically... Some of it, but we just like shopping. I mean, but most of the stuff that we got, we didn't even know about before we went. No, we didn't, like, intentionally go to get it. I will say that Iggy's new harness... I just took her on a hike in it today for the first time, and I'm wishing, as I knew I would, that I bought Felix the same one because <laughs> it's beautiful and it fits her. I This dog's never had a harness that fit her this well. Um, I'm really into it. But basically, we just went crazy on Herda, which you can get here. Not necessarily everything from Herda can you get here. So you got yeah. all the new colors yeah. of harnesses and stuff. I bought Igia new dumbbell for obedience that I've never seen Yeah, here. It's wooden, but it has purple ends. I think, um, I mean, it's definitely, I mean, it's on par with like, I don't know, like AKC any of our Nationals. big, our big events. We also go crazy shopping right. at I our think big if events. Yeah. Like, I think if like, um, if, Someone from Europe came over to the U.S. during the nationals. They, they would bring crazy. an extra They'd be suitcase like, oh my God, too. We can't get all this right, stuff. <laughs> it's totally um, true. Or it's hard to get, or we have to pay a lot for shipping, or whatever. Right. Um. So I, you know, there. Were so we bought way too many toys, way too many harnesses, etc. In all honesty, like we didn't even talk about this, but my favorite thing from the shopping was actually um, the Agile notes. which is Ag- Yeah, which we, something. I will talk about on the podcast later, but oh, okay. it's basically, it's a it's an app for record keeping and training for agility. Yeah. And I'm going to talk about it later, but um, yeah, we, and I didn't yeah. even tell you yet that I won one of the drawings. They sent me an email. What? I know. What was so the drawing for? It was just for more time. More. It was like a three-month coupon. Oh, wow. But anyway, um, it's a paid app for record-keeping in agility training specifically, and it's very, very it's cool. Really cool. It's very cool. Um, so, yeah, my two – well, I, I, when I left, I was like, I have two favorite things, and to say Agile Notes is one of them is – That's is big. A big That's big. Because I don't do that. No, so I know you do. I don't keep records. I don't – but, like, this app maybe will win me over – and then the other thing was the shirt trading. You did shirt trading. And that was like... You traded a supporter was... shirt f- from our country yeah. for a Japan supporter shirt. And it's a very cool shirt. A team Japan shirt. Team Japan. And Watson's from Japan. So that's why that was important. So... We are rounding down. We've got our last couple of questions here. Um, Finnick is ruining something important to me, probably. So Leslie's handling that right now. 
Um, okay, from Leah. What were the most interesting or unusual handling styles and decisions that you saw? And we kind of talked about this. I wouldn't say that we saw anything unusual. Um, I would say just, again, that what was interesting was just maybe some differences, but not anything unusual. You know, if I had to say about unusual, I would say I think most people who were unfamiliar with it would maybe say Zippy. Zippy's the large dog overall winner. It has an unusual style, but we knew him. Like he's, We've seen him run before. He's been on yeah. the scene for quite a while, and, and that's how he handles. So he's more of a distance handler um, than I would say others are. And so it seems unusual. Probably the most distancey that yeah. we saw there, but he was still right up, right up there everywhere he needed yeah. to be. He just had incredible obstacle independence on that yeah. dog. Um I think I just think some people would find that unusual because they're used to seeing um, more of like they were thinking that you need to be that tall, athletic, blonde, <laughs> and run Jenny and, Dam character, right? <laughs> run and get everywhere you yeah. need to get. Yeah, I mean, blonde's not that important. Anymore. I'm just saying. <laughs> you're right. Look at the podium this year. <laughs> blonde is not that important anymore. So. Teresa, I mean, yeah. she's got, like, dark brown hair, man. Yeah. I know. All right. So, <laughs> last question from the from Patreon. Uh, this is from Brenda and Zippy. I'd like to hear about what it's like to be a spectator, whether it's worth it to go versus watch on live stream, especially knowing that you can't meet slash visit with the exhibitors anyway. What makes it special to go in person? So, I'm not sure about the you can't meet slash visit with the exhibitors. You sure can. They're sitting in the stands sat, watching. Yeah, the, we the sat teams, with the USA they, team. Yeah, they're actually, they, the stands are divided. Okay, so at least in Finland, it could be different in other countries, but the stands were divided into country sections. Yeah. And that is where the team sat. And you're literally and shoulder to shoulder with the that team. That is also where the supporters sat. Yes. I mean, the supporters could technically literally sit it, anywhere, but. You can, but. You usually Especially with like, a country like U.S. Like, Finland took over the entire right. thing. But, especially like a country like ours, we were one of a handful. We were two of a handful yeah. of spectators. So, I mean, we were, we sat with the team. We talked with them every day. Yeah. Basically, we watched... And we knew some of them anyway, but... We watched but, a lot of the runs with them. I mean, they... Yeah. They... They're sitting like there watching. Yeah. kind of sport, you don't want to get ready too early. So, I mean, if they were later in the run order, they sat and watched through when it was... You yep. know, they saw their marker to go down and start doing stuff, warming up their dog. So, um, and you can definitely go... You can meet other people. other people. Yeah depending on you know what it obviously you hopefully want to be respectful and not like if you know they're you just don't want it dog, right don't go bug them when right, dogs right. Are running. but um, also at that level they're gonna tell you i don't have time right now right, right? so i mean we saw i mean got to everyone. chat with some team great britain people because yeah. you know some of them um yeah, definitely. It's it's not that they're not accessible. They actually are. Yeah. Um, 
So I guess what makes it worth it, what makes it special, I almost think that you have to go to understand how special it is. And like we've said before, it's like the Olympics. It's, you've never seen anything like this. Yeah, and if you I mean, care about it as a sport, if you care about agility as a sport, I mean, it's been a dream of both of ours for a long time to see it. Um, but we both think of agility, I think, differently than a lot of people do. Yeah. I if you mean, think of it as a sport, like, this is the elite. This is the... There is no team that... There's nothing. There's no event in the world that comes close. Yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah, the dream is always to be there as a competitor. But right. That's such a small percentage. I mean, it like it's a tiny said, it's chunk just of people. Like the Olympics. Yeah. Like the dream exactly. is always to go as an athlete. Um, but you know, that's it's such you know the top of the top the ones that get to go and that's not for everyone but if you actually love the sport then going and seeing it in person is when we're we're people too who like follow it as a sport and care about who won what and like who's on what team like that's i think if you care about it as a sport like that um you have to make time for it you've got to do it at some point um okay so that was the patreon questions we're gonna wrap it up um by just kind of talking about what we've got going on right now i have um at the time of this recording the fenzy dog sports academy term is open and i have two courses i have worked up which we talked about a few times um that's kind of my it was my first course that I taught for Fenzie and I teach it twice a year, but I think I'm going to go to once a year next year. So for 2020, it'll be once a year. So it'll probably be um, around this same time. So it'll probably be next fall. So you want to jump in on that course if it's something that you're interested in. Um, it is for dogs with big feelings and helping them cope with those feelings so that they can perform better. Um, the other class I've got is the whole picture, which is my four steps to behavioral wellness in a course that is only an annual course. So probably next fall sometime. And my four steps to behavioral wellness are exercise, enrichment, nutrition, and communication. We go through all of those things. The communication piece is really big in the course. So we go through a lot of different training projects and training and communication techniques that you can use. Um, to communicate better with your dog. And then I also have a new thing, which is my first pet professionals program workshop is up. So the Fenzy pet professionals program um, is all about just kind of elevating pet dog training. So if you are a pet dog trainer, it's for you. If you're not, but you have dogs that you're training, it's also for you. So my Pet Professionals Workshop, what, uh, I'm sorry, Pet Professionals Program Workshop is Happy Crating. Um, and if you are an agility person whose dog maybe struggles with crating, it could also be helpful for you. And you can snag that at the same place. So FenzyDogSportsAcademy.com is where you will find all of those things. Leslie, do you have anything up and coming that you want to plug or talk about? Who knows? You've always got things coming down the pike. 
Um, I have. We have fit form lifestyles happening right now. Yeah. Talk about fit form lifestyles for a second. Um, so that's, um, a membership program basically to, um, get access to blogs and some Facebook lives and, um, kind of regular content on really how to make fitness work in your busy life. Um, because I think a lot of people are overwhelmed and think, oh my God, I have to be able to dedicate all this time to doing fitness and it's just not worth it. I, it's too much. I'd rather just not do it. You know, it's the typical human response of when you're overwhelmed, it's just easier not to do it. Um, so that's still going, it goes through December, um, of this year, it's six months total of content and all the content stays available. So where can people um, sign up for that? On my website, I think. which is what <laughs> I think you can find it on the total canine.net. You can, I know this for, for a okay. fact. So total canine.net and is canine spelled out yes c-a-n-i-n-e yes okay so the total canine.net yes okay anything else um i have my first workshop on Fenzy coming up in the middle of october and it's open for registration and it's it's open right now So everything with Fenzy, you register all at once, even if everything's not happening at once. So this is a mid-October workshop that is open for registration now. Yes. And it's all about progressing fitness, correct? Yes. I didn't warn Leslie that she had to talk about this, so this is not her fault. Um, I'm trying to find it real quick, and of course it's... But again, you guys can go to FenzyDogSportsAcademy.com for me to find it. And okay. you will find yeah. it. Why is it not showing up? <laughs> oh, I found it. Okay. It's on October 13th. It's called Progression Stagnation, Knowing When and How to Change Fitness Intensity. Um, so for me, this is kind of geared, I, I think it's geared towards everyone, but also I really want to gear it towards um kind of the pet professionals that deal with fitness and deal with rehab and sports medicine because I definitely think there's a issue with not understanding how to progress or regress exercises and instead just giving people new exercises and again that overwhelms them and then they're less likely to do it. Um, so this will go into more of how to figure out when the dog is ready to progress um, and also how you should progress it, um, but also some steps on um, if you need to make an exercise easier and what you can do um, for that as well. Excellent. I think that's something people are really missing a lot a lot of the time that I've seen. Um so again, you guys can sign up for all of that stuff at FenzyDogSportsAcademy.com and we of course appreciate it if you do. Thanks for listening. 
Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe in the podcast app of your choice. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, being a part of the CogDoc Radio community, and getting access to all kinds of extras, head over to patreon.com slash cogdogradio to become a patron. 